6, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. I want to read verses 1 through 11. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plains of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it says. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Delii, and the grandson of Mehetebel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I just won't do it. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. We continue along the wrestling with the theme, characteristics of a warrior. In the previous week, we identified those characteristics being a fighting mentality and a stern focus. And this morning, we want to talk about the spirit to finish. The spirit to finish. In that historical period of the early 20th century known as the Harlem Renaissance, Harlem, New York became the cultural mega of African American literature, art, music, and even stage performance. The great migration from the South to the North in the early 1900s birthed a community that initially in its geography was not intended for black presence. Harlem, New York began as a northern Manhattan neighborhood meant to cater to upper-class whites in the 1880s. However, overdevelopment led to empty buildings and landlords who became desperate to find persons to occupy these empty properties and find a stream of revenue to support their debt. Yet in the morning of the 1900s, a few middle-class black families from a neighborhood known as Black Bohemia moved to Harlem. The few white families that were there who occupied the space in Harlem resisted the importation of black presence and fought but failed 
and eventually fled Harlem. Yet a population boom between 1910 and 1920, which gave us the now historical giants we know as children of the great Harlem Renaissance, Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, Louis Armstrong, James Weldon Johnson and Gwendolyn Brooks and Conti Cullen, one of my favorite authors. But one such personality provided a poetic sermonic composition that encompasses the totality of what I'm attempting to try to say in this worship moment this morning. Each of you should get to read and know the works of Festus Claudius McKay, better known as Claude McKay, a Jamaican writer and poet again from the Harlem Renaissance. Among his great poems entitled After the Winter, Harlem Shadows, Joy in the Woods, and the Lynching, my heart is most pulled by the poem he, writ, writ, he wrote entitled If We Must Die, in which he speaks to the characteristic of this idea of finishing but utilizing the terms perseverance, endurance, boldness, confidence, finishing the task that lies ahead with dignity and with pride. Listen to the lines of this poem as he writes, I quote, if we must die, let it not be like hogs, hunted and pinned in an inglorious spot, while round us bark the mad and hungry dogs, making their mock at our accursed lot. If we must die, oh, let us die nobly, so that our precious blood may not be shed in vain. Then even the monsters we defy shall be constrained to honor us, though dead. O oh, kinsmen, we must meet the common foe. Though far outnumbered, let us show brave. And for their thousand blows, deal one death blow. What though before us lies an open grave. Like men, we'll face the murderous, cowardly pack. Here's the line. Press to the wall, dying, but fighting back. The race riots of Chicago in 1919 gave birth to this poem through Card McKay's pen as he focuses upon the idea in the last line, pressed against the wall, dying, but fighting back. You might remember that the birth of those riots came, if my memory serves it correctly, as a young boy named Eugene Williams was swimming in the lake. And in that lake was an imaginary line that separate blacks from whites. And in his swimming, he crossed that line. And he was eventually stoned by white citizens on the line to which he crossed. There are several stories that suggest how he died. One says that when he crossed that line, they threw so many stones at him that one injured his head, thus causing him to lose conscience and drowned in the lake. Others said that when he came up for air trying to get back to shore, he was thrown against with so many rocks that instead of coming back to shore, he stayed in the lake and died. Whatever the consequence was, it led to the worst riot in Chicago's history. Some 500 individuals lost their lives and it sparked a kind of mentality where there were whites who found blacks and began to assault them and kill them, and there were blacks who found whites who did the exact same thing. The rumor is still trying to discover what happened with the mayor at the time, who seemed to have been not only silent, but yet participatory in the offense. The bottom line was that when uh, Claude McKay heard this story, he was convinced, though, that we still had to fight and finish the task of acquiring equality 
even when our backs was against the wall and we may have to die. His suggestion was that even if you find yourself in a space where death is imminent, whatever you do, don't die not fighting, but stick to the task and not allow yourself to be defeated because someone suggested that you should die without being noble. He's highlighting for us the mentality that we must encompass a fighting mentality, a stern focus, and now a finishing spirit regardless of the circumstance encountered. Keep in mind that the devil is always after your confidence. The enemy knows that if he can't keep you from your calling, the only way he can do that is to strip you of your confidence. That's because when there is something valuable, it then turns into becoming vulnerable. And if your confidence is that valuable, then your confidence likewise will become vulnerable and the enemy knows the one thing that we have to do is steal that confidence so they will not pursue to finish the journey. Your warrior mentality is strengthened by operating within a stern focus. Remember, we talked about that last Sunday, that you have to stay focused on the task, no matter of the detours that are all around you. And there will be detours and distractions. But your stern focus demands that if you want your confidence to be strengthened, you have to not only remain focused, but remember your focus is strengthened and sustained because of your God confidence to endure, to fight, to finish, even if you are dying and pressed against the wall. It's not just how we start a race that matters, but how we finish is what's most important. The finishing spirit is what I find in the life and work of this civil servant named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not a prophet. Nehemiah was not a preacher. Nehemiah was a layman, a civil servant, who was burdened with the reproach of Jerusalem's broken down wall and burned gates. Remember, the king granted him permission to return from the Babylonian exile to become the rebuilder of the wall in Jerusalem. He managed to assemble a competent and committed team. He cast a vision before them and managed to make sure he oversaw the entire task as it came to its conclusion. And after a long six weeks of work, the completion was in sight. The completion itself was a miracle because one could not rebuild the wall in a short period of time as Nehemiah had accomplished. But remember, Nehemiah was not an ordinary kind of person. In him was a fighting mentality and a stern focus, and now we shall witness a spirit to finish the task no matter what the obstacle was that stood before him. But you must remember, before we read the words in verse 15 of chapter 6, which says, the wall was finished, Nehemiah came to a crossroad and was tempted to abandon the entire project at the last minute. He encountered a temptation that caused him to wrestle with the question. Should a man as I flee from a situation like this? Should a man like me run away just because I'm challenged at the moment? Verse 11. Nehemiah is trying to tell us that there's an importance in finishing strong when God has placed an assignment in our spirit. They tell me that the last lap of a race, both literally and metaphorical, is often the most challenging. The muscles tighten up. The mentality is challenged whether or not you can finish. Your wind is becoming short. And although the line is in sight, <clears throat> there are times when people 
give up right at the finish line and it's right there before them. How many times we can recall people who quit when the finish line was right there in their sight. Nehemiah's enemy came on the scene in chapter 6 with one last ditch effort, one last temptation, one last challenge, one last fight to discourage his effort from finishing strong. But notice what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah began to wrestle in himself with two questions that help him resolve in his mind how he must finish the task. Look closely at verse 3. In verse 3, Nehemiah says, when his enemies came to tempt him to come down from the wall and have conversation with us, interrupt and stop progress, Nehemiah said, why should I leave the work and come down and talk with you? He wrestled with the question of knowing that I am about a good thing and I'm noticing that we are making progress even with all the obstacles that are standing before us. Even though the enemy comes and says, let us have a conversation that we might help you in the process, knowing that there is no intention at all in their effort to help you, Nehemiah says, let me think about this for a moment here. Now, why would I leave what was a divine assignment to rebuild this wall? And I can now see, although it's small progress, it's progress. And although it's small, why would I leave this to come down and talk with you that have no progress at all? There is no progression in what you are attempting to do. All you're trying to do is digress me in the process. And then when tempted to leave the main road, watch this, the main road, because the main road, staying on the task, is what's going to lead Nehemiah and the people to victory. His enemies come to get him off the main road unto the side road, which is nothing more that leads to delay and disappointment and disappearance, Nehemiah then asks, why would a man like me, in verse 11, run from this challenge that is standing before us? Nehemiah left us some very sound advice on how to finish strong when you attempted the race. In order to finish, Nehemiah says, here is something that you might want to do, and I might suggest that we might want to emulate what Nehemiah did in this text. Notice, first of all, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Nehemiah, knowing that if he is going to finish strong, as a warrior, he wants to finish strong, and in order to do that, the very first thing he did, notice, was identified his opposition. Look at clause A. It says Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and the rest of his enemies. He knew who they were because they became a constant thorn in Nehemiah's flesh. He already knew who they were because when Nehemiah started this project, go back to chapter 2 and read verse 19. When he started this project, these were the ones who showed up to discourage him from the task at hand. When you go back to chapter 2, when Nehemiah challenged the people to come together so that we might rebuild the wall, verse 18 says, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall so they began a good work. Do you not know that just because we are discussing warrior mentality and warrior sternness of focus and warrior finishing spirit and warrior-like characteristics for the rest of the year. Already, we have set in motion spiritual warfare. The enemy will certainly rise up in the midst of our effort to understand the importance of fighting as warriors to preserve who we are, we will be engaged in deep spiritual warfare. 
Read chapter 2 after verse 19 and listen to what happened. As soon as his enemies heard that they had decided, let's begin this good work. The Bible says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, when they all heard of our plans, they scoffed continuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And Nehemiah realized that you can't have a discussion with the enemy. That you can't enter into a dialogue with those who are in opposed to what you are doing. So what Nehemiah does that he learned early in his bouts with the enemy that every time they attempt to cause you to try to quit what you do is up your game to the next level. Watch this now. Nehemiah makes it clear that whenever the enemy comes to tempt you, you never come down to the level of the enemy. But you raise your game to the next level. Now how do I know that? Verse 20 of chapter 2, Nehemiah says that the God of heaven will help us succeed. Now notice, Nehemiah doesn't stop and ask his enemy, why are you fighting against me? He doesn't stop and say to his enemy, what's the problem? He doesn't stop and look at the enemy and says, you're fighting the wrong fight. He just simply raised his game to the next level and said, you know what? The God that I serve will help me succeed in this matter. And we, his servants, we will start rebuilding this wall. Notice what he did. He raised his level to the next level. But he identified who his opposition was. But then by raising to the next level, what he did was intensified his objective. When you look at verse 20, he says, not only will God help us, but God will help us to start rebuilding the wall and in rebuilding the wall, we won't share, we won't allow you to have any input in what we are attempting to do. Notice what God does. When you never seek to dialogue with the enemy, God will always raise you up to the next level. When you focus yourself, not on who the enemy is, you identify them, but you never spend time trying to figure out everything they're doing because the God that you serve already knows all the ins and outs and all the efforts that the enemy is trying to do. Now, how do I know that? Remember, when the Hebrew boys were placed in the furnace and when the king came along and put them there because they refused to bow down to the king's level. And as a result, they were placed in a context where they now had to raise their game to another level and raise it to the point where even though the fire was burning all around them, and in the language of Claude McKay again, they were pressed against the wall, yet they fought back even if it meant dying. Remember the Hebrew boys said, when the king looked in, he saw not just the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego presence, but he saw a fourth person standing in the fire with them. And when the king brought them out of the burning moment, and which is a testimony in itself, that when you raise your game up to the next level, God will open a door that you might walk out victorious even though the enemy is trying to burn your situation. When he came out, they said, O king, let it be known. The God that we serve is able to do whatever we commit to his task. However, even if he don't deliver us, it ain't because he doesn't have the capability of doing so. Is because we're just trusting that God must have a bigger plan than bringing us back to where you are. Sometimes, even if you lose a situation, it doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. It means that it's a fresh start to a new situation. Doesn't always mean that that's the end 
because you don't have what you used to have. Sometimes God takes from us what we keep trying to hold unto us. And by taking it from us, it enables us to become free that we might start a new life in a new spot, in a new situation, and experience a new power through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember what God is doing. He is highlighting the objective that he had given Nehemiah. Don't worry about these folk who are trying to fight against you. Just follow my instruction. Remember every time that Moses had to come back to Pharaoh, God was really raising his game. Ten times he came back to Pharaoh at ten different situations trying to even help Pharaoh understand you're going to let God's people go that we might go to the wilderness and worship him in freedom. And nine of those times Pharaoh said I'm not going to let you go. But when you raise your game to the next level and when you allow yourself to intensify the objective, God knows how to bring about the necessary act to bring about not only confusion, but even death to what the enemy is attempting to do. When God brought about death of the firstborn in Egypt, Pharaoh quickly made sure that those Hebrews got out of Egypt as soon as possible. Why? Because Moses knew that every time God sent him back, God was raising his game up to another level that he could see no matter what the enemy do to you, he will never topple you, he will never defeat you, he will never overcome you. If you stay focused, if you stay with the fighting mentality, if you keep on with a finishing spirit, I will always bring you over every single time. I will make sure you are victorious. Don't worry about what the enemy is trying to do. You just keep on marching and keep on marching and keep on marching in the name of the Lord because God has got your back because when God knows what God is going to do he's going to make sure he shows you where he's going to take you but at the same time he's going to make sure that you are always victorious in the process watch this when he raised his game level and when he intensified the objective notice what Nehemiah does thirdly so first he identifies his opposition second he intensifies his objective in chapter 2 verse 20 but third Nehemiah celebrates every opportunity of progress when you fast forward to chapter 4 and you begin to listen to Sanballat and all of his enemies criticism again listen to what the text says stick with me now verse 1 of chapter 4 Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall now watch this now when he first was introduced to learning that Nehemiah was going to rebuild the wall he sort of asked him are you trying to rise up against the king but secondly, when he noticed that that didn't stop progress, that Nehemiah didn't, didn't come down to his own level, he then raised the stakes. Now understand, when you are in spiritual warfare, every victory that you acquire, that means the next time the stakes will be raised. So the enemy will intensify his attacks upon you as well. Here in the text of chapter 4 verse 1 it says, that he became very angry when he found out that they were rebuilding the wall. That meant because he threw some stuff in your path, you didn't give up. You kept on fighting. You went back and reloaded and you wiped the tears from your eyes and you got up out of your pity party and you put your clothes on and you put your war tongue together and you put your praise back in your spirit and you got right back into the fight and you were fighting some more. It says that he flew into a rage and began to mock the Jews, saying in front of all of his friends and his Samaritan army buddies, what do this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Watch this. Every single time that you begin to work and to finish the task, I can tell you the first thing Satan's going to do. He's going to try all he can to quench your worship. See, he equated whether or not they would complete by recognizing in the giving of their sacrifice, which was a part of their worship, that they were beginning to understand the more we worship God, the more we win through God. So he knew that if I can cause them not to worship and to discourage them in the process, that they would stop worship. And when they stopped worshiping, it would stop their power from flowing. That's the reason why, because you hit a rough patch, the last thing you want to do is stop worshiping, but you want to keep on worshiping. In fact, you want to intensify your worship. You want to intensify it because the enemy knows worship is a release of whatever the pain is on the inside of your life. So whatever is happening in your life, the enemy knows if I can keep you from coming to church, so if I can make you not feel that well, if I can make you not feel like you want to go to church, if I can make you not feel like you feel like worshiping, if I can make you not feel like something's going to happen at worship, if I can just interrupt whatever your worship is, I've cut off your power. Because he knows that if you ever get to worship, something's going to happen in the worship service. Your mind going to be renewed. Your strength is going to be renewed. Your hope is going to be renewed. Your faith is going to be renewed. Something is going to happen if you get into worship. And every time you are beginning to make progress, Satan will work hard at cutting off your worship. Now remember, he can't cut off unless you let him cut it off. If you allow him to allow you to sleep in and attend bedside Baptist on that morning, you're going to miss out on your chance to be restored by God. He knows you can't rebuild a wall in a single day, but what he does also know is that if you have the hope and the faith of believing that I might not can do it in a single day, but I'm going to get it done someday, that's where he wants to tear apart every hope and anticipation that you have. So look at the text. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4 that do they actually think they can make this thing happen from stones, from a rubbish heap, and charred ones at that. Here's what he's saying. They don't even have the right material to rebuild the wall. What they have is a burned wall. In fact, the burned wall is so charred and the gates are so charred that there's no way they can make anything out of what's charred here. But how many people know that God knows how to take whatever I've charred in life's progress and turn it around and restore it. That's the reason why it's called restoration. To bring it back to its originality. Because when I charred my own life through my process of neglect, when I came to know who he was, he took whatever charred remains I brought to him and turned, hey, old folks say, he, 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 he picked me up and he turned me around and he planted my feet on solid ground. That meant he restored my soul. He rebuilt me. And is there anybody here this morning to know that God has rebuilt my life to a point where I'm not what I used to be, but I thank God I'm not all that I'm going to be because it does not yet appear what I shall be. But he restored my soul. When I lost my job, he restored my soul. When I lost my marriage, he restored my soul. When I lost my parents, he restored my soul. When I lost some of my health, he restored my soul. Lost my, he restored my soul. God is in the restoration business. 
business. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad he restores me every single time I bring some charred works unto him. Here it is right here in the text. They intensified their criticism by saying, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall will collapse even if a fox were to walk along the top of it. Uh, the enemy says that there, there ain't no way, it's just not possible, that you're going to pay off that mortgage because you don't have enough money. There's no way you're going to get that job because you don't have enough education. There's no way you're going to get that house because your credit score ain't right. Watch me now. I'm preaching here this morning. There's just no way you're going to grow in this ministry because the people won't accept you. But when you read chapter 4, and when you get to verse 4, look at what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says that whatever you do, you maintain your finishing spirit by understanding, once again, you don't talk with the enemy. Look at the text closely. Nehemiah never wastes his time trying to dialogue with the enemy. He just turns around and dialogues with the God of his salvation. Look at verse 4. It says, Then I prayed, Lord, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their heads. Here's the one time you can actually pursue vindication on the enemy. Lord, blow them out the water. Lord, destroy them. Lord, alienate them. I don't know about you, but it just depends on how I intensify they want to attack me is going to determine how intensify I'm going to pray. I just might not pray, Lord, bless them. I might pray, Lord, destroy them. However you decide to do it, just destroy them because the enemy is attempting to destroy you. Listen, a warrior doesn't take prisoners. A warrior has one objective, to kill. To kill whatever and whomever is trying to destroy. Here it is. Uh, 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 Nehemiah says Lord they're trying to destroy us don't let them destroy us in fact don't even blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger and they have provoked you to anger here in front of all these builders all these people who have trusted in your provision they are trying to discourage them but watch verse 6 watch verse 6 watch verse 6 Verse 6 is shouting news because the enemy hated every step of progress that Nehemiah and the company made and hoped that he could discourage them to lose their fighting mentality, to lose their stern focus, and to lose their passion for finishing. But look what God does. Nehemiah prays and he praises even when the project is only half done. Yeah, look closely, look closely at verse, four, at verse 6. It says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people worked with enthusiasm. Here's what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says, celebrate every inch of progress. Every inch of progress. So you've applied your application. Your application survived the first round, shout. You've applied your application and it survived the second round, shout. You've applied your application and it survived the first, second, and third round, shout. You've applied your application and you are now the final candidate. Shout even more. You've not only applied, but you've gotten extension 
of the invitation, shout even more. Why? Because at each stage, you shouted. Watch this. I remember when, when Barbara and I first got married, we had a 1974 Chevy Impala. It was her car that she got when she finished high school. Check this out. We rolled that baby, and I mean it was smooth as smooth could be. And although we were sort of antiquated in what we were riding in, we were just as happy as happy could be. And every time we got a new car, we shouted. And we held that old car in our possession so it could remind us from where we have come from. And every time we made progress, we shouted. When we first got married, we had a small little apartment. I mean a small little apartment. I mean a small little apartment. And we had absolutely no furniture at all, but we celebrated who we were. We had come together as one, and whatever we had, we had it, and we were blessed of God to where we are now. And at every part of the juncture, we celebrated where we were. What little we had, we were, we were happy. What much we had, we were happy. What abundance we had, we were happy. You got to learn to praise God for every little progress that you make. Every little progress. Every little progress. I went from shouting from having tennis shoes that came from Kmart to having tennis shoes that came from the athletic store. I bought the ones from Kmart. It wouldn't even last a week if I went on the basketball court because they would tear apart. But I was still happy. At least I had something under my feet called a soul and was able to do. But listen, every time God blesses you, go on and celebrate. Go on and give God the glory because when you praise him for the small things, see what Nehemiah does, even though the wall is only half built, he is celebrating to God and the people is serving with enthusiasm and his enemy is getting more and more angry. And that's what you want the devil to let him get mad. He get mad all he want to get mad. He ain't going to do no good. Listen to the text. Verse 7. When Samballot Tobiah and the Amorites and the Ashtonites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious because Nehemiah wouldn't stop. He had a finishing spirit no matter what the challenge was. Look at what the text says. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. See, I'm convinced that because we're talking about this warrior issue, that there are going to be a lot of moments when the enemy is going to try to throw us into confusion. Throw us off the main course. But verse 9 of chapter 4 says, but we prayed to our God. And guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Now watch this. Fast forward. Notice a finishing warrior is a praying warrior. Nehemiah responded to his enemies with work, witness, and the word. Work, no matter the opposition, keep building. Keep building. Keep growing. Keep maturing. No matter the opposition, tiredness, stubbornness, bureaucracy, hurdles, obstacles, keep building, keep building, keep pushing ahead. He responded with witness because Nehemiah also knew that no matter the opposition, you got to keep showing the people that you are an overcomer because they're watching you. So you got to keep fighting, keep building. Stay stern, focused, and keep working to finish because there are others around you who want to know how do you sustain the attacks of the enemy. He fought them, responded with work, witness, and the word. No matter the opposition, 
Nehemiah resided to praying at every intersection of trouble and even in triumph. When you fast forward to chapter 6, Nehemiah's goal was finally in sight. Finally in sight. The walls were rebuilt and all that remained was the hanging of the gates. He was on the last lap of the long race that had carried him through many dangers, toils, and snares, that had carried him across many hills and through many valleys. And as he sprinted to the finish line, Nehemiah is shouting out to us this morning the imperativeness of being a finisher. Listen, listen, listen. He's shouting. He's telling us, whatever you do, stay off of the side streets. Don't get on the side streets where there are distractions and where there are detours and where there is disappointment and where there is disconnection. Stay off the side street and stay on the main street. Stay focused and keep your fighting mentality. And when your back is pressed against the wall fight back fight back don't give in fight back Nehemiah heard his enemy when his enemy said come look at verse 2 of chapter 6 of Nehemiah come let us dialogue come down and meet me come down and see me in one of the villages in the plain of Ona. But Nehemiah said, I realize they weren't doing nothing but plotting against me. They were trying to destroy me. In fact, they sent me a message, but I replied by sending them a message. I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come down. And why should I stop the work that I'm doing to come down and meet with you. And look closely, if you would, at verse 4. Because verse 4 says, four times they came back to Nehemiah with the same request. But look at the verse also says, and four times Nehemiah responded in the same manner. Nehemiah is making it clear unto us that the devil ain't quitting. So all your crying and, and rolling around in the pew on the floor and, and vomiting and curling on, it's not going to stop him from attacking you. What you're going to have to do, says Paul, is put on your full armor and as a warrior, be ready to fight and handle every wiles of the enemy. And notice what it says. Four times they attacked and four times Nehemiah responded in the same way. I'm about to close now. In verse 5 it says there's a fifth time. Remember when I told you whenever you're in spiritual warfare every victory you get the enemy will intensify his response. Look at verse 5 of chapter 6. After hearing Nehemiah reject him four times the fifth time they sent him a letter by a messenger and look at the letter which is nothing more than a composition of all the lies that they could think of to persuade Nehemiah to come down from his position of where he is see the enemy also knows the position of where you were see Nehemiah's previous position was he was serving in his good government job for the king as cupbearer but when he got word in reference to what happened to his fellow citizens from the exile, he moved from serving the king to serving the king of kings. But the king of kings gave him favor with the king that he was serving. So all the supplies that he needed, the king gave him a letter of credit to get it done. All the labor that he needed, the king made sure that all of the workers that he needed were there at his disposal as well. All of the freedom to pass into different regions, the king gave him a letter 
that would get him over every region that he crossed. I'm just trying to tell you, Satan knows where you were to where you are now. And where you are now is far different than where you were before. And so he wants to make you go backwards to where you were as opposed to leaving you where you are right now. And Nehemiah said, not in this lifetime, but it ain't happening in this lifetime. Where I am is about doing a good work for the kingdom of God. And I can't come down to serve you. And all the stuff that you wrote in this letter, I just want you to know is nothing more, look at verse eight, is nothing more than a lie. In fact, you made the whole thing up. Also know that the devil will make a good lie upon you to cause other people to have question about you and to challenge you, particularly if what you do causes threat to their space of being comfortable. You get into that when you get into power structures where folk see that what you are doing is threatening where they are and people are recognizing what you are doing and they exercise a spirit of jealousy and start spreading little rumors. Look at all these rumors running every day. See some fine, find some how to play. Just throw them all out there. But you have got to not allow what folk, I am a believer. You don't have to respond to every rumor that somebody says about you. Sometimes if you don't say nothing, it'll work itself out. Because what will happen is the folk who carried the bone, folk will realize they will bring you a bone. They will also carry a bone. And then what they were saying about you was nothing more than a fabrication of what they were doing. And then they lose credibility. And notice they'll get back to trying to be your friend. That's why you got to watch who you let in your circle. Nehemiah was very pointed. Look at verse 9. He said all they were trying to do was intimidate us. Remember I told you that a warrior doesn't allow him or herself to be intimidated. Instead, they utilize intimidation to stand themselves as a warrior. They were trying to intimidate Nehemiah. They were imagining that they could discourage them and stop the work but look at the last line of verse 9. So I continued to work with even greater, even greater, even greater enthusiasm. They were not going to stop me because I'm a finisher. I finish whatever the task is at hand. So he's shouting, don't, don't let them throw you off the main road. Stay on the main road. Remember you're doing a good work. You can't quit because you're too good to quit. You're too blessed to quit. You're too favored to quit. You're too close to the finish line to quit. And listen to what Nehemiah said. When they told him they upped the game again, they hired a prophet to tell him, come and see me and let's go and hide in the church because they're coming to kill you tonight and Nehemiah says in verse 11 why would I run from a good challenge why would I run from a good fight the God I serve finishes everything that God sets out to do isn't that what Paul tells us in Philippians 2? That he that has begun a good work in you will finish it, will bring it to pass. Nehemiah said, why am I going to throw in the towel? In fact, why would I go in church and hide? I don't need to hide in church. I go to get help in church, not to hide. And when I get help in church, I get healthier in church. And when I get healthier in church, I can go back and handle any fight that comes out of my path. But I'm not hiding in church. I, I, I don't need a sanctuary where I got to hide from my enemy. 
All I got to do is show up for God's glory. And when I show up to the fight, God already has been in the fight. And the victory is already won. And Nehemiah says, whatever you do, don't you stop. In fact, I just came by to tell somebody this morning, you right there at the finish line. You right there at the finish line. You are right there. And this is what I want to know. You've been fighting and struggling for the last year, two, three. You right, why give up now when you're right there? I'm going to close this little story. It may not seem much to you, but it's, it's, I, I saw something in it. So I like to watch with my daughter. We like to watch this picture called My 600-Pound Life. And there's this sister on there that hadn't been out of her bed or hadn't been out of her house, rather, in the last three to four years, I think, something like that. So she finally got up the strength and lost enough weight where she could now get up and move. And she's coming outside, and for the first time, she's been outside in three years. She walks to the van, but she gets halfway down the sidewalk. Watch my point now. And, and she says, I need to sit down. And she sits down, and she says, right there, right there at the van, I, I, I can't go no further. So she turns around and goes back to the house. Now watch this. Geographically, check out the landscape. So coming down the sidewalk, you are already halfway to your deliverance. The car is right there. Your destination is right there. You are halfway to your deliverance. If you got to take a stop to sit down and rest and restore your soul, sit down and rest and restore your soul. But if you're halfway there, watch this, it's going to take you more energy to turn around and go back to the house. Watch it. You've already arrived at your destination if you just keep moving forward. Don't turn around and go back. Because it's going to expend too much energy. And watch this. Then you got to turn around and try it all over again. And that's where some of you are. You're right there. You are halfway there. Don't turn around and go back. You could go back or she could go back to the complacency and the comfortability of her bed and just sit there, but in her mind, she's going to be in a mental struggle. She's going to wrestle with this single phrase, what if? You ever been there? What if I had? But when you turn around and go back, you've already dealt with what if I had. But listen to me, you're right there. If you are halfway there, if you got to sit and take a rest, get yourself restored. But push ahead. Had she pushed ahead, she would have gotten to the car. She would have been able to drive to the physician's office because the physician had made it clear. The first thing we got to do is we got to have you walk into my office. Because I can't do surgery with you immobile because you run the risk of blood clots. But if I can get you mobilized, I can get things flowing through you. And then if you can walk into my office, we can go to the next level. Did you catch that? We can go to the next level. And that's all God's trying to tell somebody. You halfway there, and I know you feel like turning around and quitting, but whatever you do, don't you quit. You finish that task, and you get to that destination, and watch what will happen when you get there. Don't turn around and give up because of all the stuff on the sideline. Don't you give up because of what people are going to say. Don't you give up for how tired you are, but you keep pressing through. You keep shouting your way through. You keep celebrating your way through and every step that you take you worship and thank God that I'm so glad I'm making step A and step B and God will get you to where you need to be but finish finish 
finish. If I got any young folk in the house, I don't care how hard it is when you get out of high school, when you're trying to get into college, you do what you got to do, but you finish the task. I don't care if they threw you out of school, get you a GED, you finish. I don't care if you're 75 and you got to go back to college to finish it. Do what you got to do to finish. Because in finishing, it does something to you emotionally. It enables me to see that no matter the task, I can win this thing every single time. Do you not know it's a mental game? That's why Claude McRae said, even when you are pressed against a wall, don't allow yourself to die like a hog. Slaughtered. But you fight back, even if it means you die trying. See, 50 Cent was right. Get rich or die trying. That's prophecy right there. Get rich or die trying. And Nehemiah is clear. Push, finish, or die trying. Because the God that we serve finishes everything that he does. Father, help somebody this morning. Push ahead. Help somebody this morning.